You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. We are currently in a series called Covered in Dust, a journey through the book of Matthew, looking at the life, ministry, and relationship that Jesus had with his disciples that would later bring the kingdom of heaven through normal, everyday people. Thanks for joining us. Everybody, the lights are up. I can make eye contact, which is a great time. Hello, Dallas. Dallas and me went to the New Methodical the other day. Had a great time. The New Methodical is like it's like the downtown Methodical with parking. You know what I'm saying? It's like uh, you don't have to stress out and pay ten dollars to get in to pay ten dollars to get a coffee to not have a seat. I'm just I'm just hating. I mean, I love Methodical, uh, but the new one is cool as well. Um, it's good to be here with you guys. The summer is in full swing, is it not? Are we not in the summer mode? Isn't that going to be good? Um, and uh, we, we have been doing this, um, this series uh, through the book of Matthew since the beginning of the year, and there's only three more messages left. Um, it's been a really um, ble- big blessing to me. Um, Matthew was the very first book of the Bible that I ever read, um, and it was something, for me at least, that really um, just helped me to see the kingdom of God um, in really significant, important ways. And I think I love that part of my story, at least, is that um, I think I knew from the very beginning that I, like many of you, just had this appetite for something kind of bigger than church, um, something more long-lasting than kind of social clubs. Um, and I found that Jesus wanted that too, and that Jesus offers that too, that he is way bigger than church and denominations and religious stuff. Um, Jesus is about the kingdom of God that is everywhere. It's in every corner, in every crack, in every crevice, and there's no way to, uh, on this earth, um, not... Uh, be able to be right in the presence of the kingdom of God, provided that our heart would be open to it, our eyes would be open to the kingdom of God. And so that is the, the primary theme, the, the major thesis of the whole book of Matthew is that Jesus is the king and he has brought the true kingdom. That Moses was a priest and he went up to the mountain and got ten commandments, but when Jesus sat down on the mount, mountain of Galilee and, and he preached his sermon of the, of the Sermon on the Mount that it was going to go longer than the Ten Commandments. The kingdom of God is going to go further and, and wider and, and offer uh, salvation and healing to so many more people than the Ten Commandments ever would. And so, and so Jesus doesn't, doesn't dislike or disown Moses. He says all the words of the prophets are going to be existent from this time until that. I'm not going to erase any of them. I just came to fulfill them. I came to bring a better prophecy. I came to bring a better law that would be written on your heart. And I came, most importantly, to bring a spirit, a Holy Spirit, that is going to usher in a new era called the kingdom of God. Amen? So the, 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 the question that we've been asking ourselves as we've read the, 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 this book about Matthew um, is this question is, is what does it mean um, to follow Jesus in the kingdom of God? Um, what, is, what does it look like um, as we follow the 12 disciples around, which Jesus spent 50% of his time just with those 12 people? He would have thought with a big, ambitious uh, vision like seeing the kingdom come all over the world, he would have gone to more nations and spent time with more people. But in, instead, he decided to focus half of his time on these 12 um, to, to leave with them the kingdom of God so that they would be stewards of the kingdom of God when he left. And he said it would be better that he would go, that these guys would bring the kingdom of God. And so what does it mean to be a disciple? And I've been asking myself this, and and hopefully you've been asking yourself this, is what does it really mean not to just be a churchgoer or um, just somebody that just gets baptized, and then that's kind of the end of the story. But from this day until that, from here until the fullness of the kingdom comes, what does it mean to follow him? And this is is the definition that I've come to 
um, up on the screen. It's not, it's not a perfect definition, but it's a, a working definition. Um, and actually, it's something I would love to, to talk about back into August, into the fall, when we um, kind of do a, a vision series and talk a little bit more about what our church is about and what we would consider to be um, a disciple. I love the Dallas Willard quote. He says, a disciple is somebody that uh, lives as though Jesus were them. Like if Jesus had your job and had your wife and had your husband and had your friends, had your school, what would he be doing? That's the question that, that Dallas Willard would ask. Some people just say it's a follower of Jesus. Um, and, and I think that that is a, a fine definition. There's no wrong definitions. Um, but, but the way that I've been thinking about the definition of meaning to follow Jesus is it's, it's somebody that is, is falling is following Jesus and falling in love with the things that he falls in love with. Falls in love with. That, that the, the prospect of following him isn't just about behavior uh, modification and change. It's a heart transition and change that, that, that genuinely takes the things that we used to desire and want and, and somehow by the power of the Holy Spirit begins to love from the inside out the things that Jesus loves. And because of loving the things that Jesus loves, begins to see their life pattern look like the way that Jesus' life looked. So it's to love the things that Jesus loved and live the way that Jesus lived. It's to do what he did when he did it for the reasons that he did it. Being a follower of Jesus would be to live and love like Jesus does. To love the Father. I mean, he never had to set his alarm to get up to go meet with the Father. He was, he was, he was missing. He was um, longing. He was waiting to get back into the presence of God. And potentially, if you're a disciple of Jesus, and, and it's still got to be the, the duty and the discipline of setting your alarm for five minutes before you start your day, potentially your heart is missing the love that Jesus had for his Father. And that's not a wrong thing. It's just an opportunity to go to his scriptures and go to his spirit and say, Jesus, would you awaken my love for the Father, that this would be a joy and not a duty? And, and Jesus had a second love. There was three. There was a second love. Jesus had this great love of his church, of his flock, and and, and, and trust me, guys, as we've read the story, we know that church isn't any less crazy back then than it is now. Um, there's tons of stuff to do. There's busyness and there's bad attitudes sometimes in church and there's hard personalities sometimes in church. But Jesus loves his church. He spent more than 50% of his time with his disciples. He didn't give up on them or quit on them when they were wrong or when they did something bad. But he, he covenanted himself with them and he loved his church. And, and lastly, he didn't just love his church. He loved the world. He loved the broken, the outcast, the one that was socially oppressed sociologically and the one that was internally oppressed by the weight and power of sin. And he loved them all and he healed them all and he put his hands on people that didn't ever follow him into discipleship. He loved the world right, right, right as it was. And so what would it mean to pattern your life, to be a disciple, a methodist, a learner, to pattern your life? If you looked over the, the gospel of your life, like the 28 chapters of your 28 years, would there be an up and in and out? Would there be a love of the Father? A genuine, would you be able to see from the patterns of your life, from the things that you do on a day-to-day -day basis, not just once or once every week, but like on a day-to-day -day rhythm, is there a love for the Father? Is there a love for the church? Is there a love for the lost? Is there a love for the world? That's what it would mean to be a disciple. We're in this final segment of Matthew, and I'll uh, get into the scriptures in just one moment. But this segment is called From the Ring. Everybody say, From the Ring. If you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. That's what somebody said. It's From the Ring. Everybody say, To the Wedding. From the ring unto the wedding, from the ring unto the wedding, this segment marks us from 21 through 28. Um, it's, a, it's a segment of scripture where, where Jesus really spends most of his time with the disciples. And he has, um, he has confirmed to himself and to others that his time 
in kind of more public ministry to invite Galilee, which is his home area. The beginning of his ministry has kind of come to a close, and he's, he's, he's made his turn towards the south, towards Jerusalem, where he'd be crucified. And, and, and on that uh, leg of his journey, uh, he begins to talk to the disciples about the future. Um, he begins to prophesy. He begins to speak about what the end time is going to be like. Um, he talks about his death. He tells them about his resurrection, though sometimes they're stubborn to hear it. And ultimately, he, he does an Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator 2, and he says, when I leave, you don't need to be worried because the Holy Spirit's coming and I'm coming back, is what he tells the disciples. And he, he begins to prophesy and he talks about it. So he talks about a field and the workers in the field, and he talks about these guys that like hide treasure uh, in, the, in the ground and this, these talents, and he talks about these weddings and these feasts, and he begins to use this allegorical prophecy to explain to the disciples what they're not going to be able to see with their natural eyes because he wants them to understand that he's returning, and he wants them, get this, to be ready for his return. He, he wants them to be ready when he comes back. He engages them like an engagement, like says, will you follow me until the end of the age? Because I want you, I don't want you to be a bride that doesn't, doesn't have her dress, that doesn't have the invitation sent out, that doesn't have the meal prepared. I don't want you to be a bride that isn't ready for the wedding. I want you to know before the date is even on the calendar that you are heading into the altar with me to be married and part of my family forever and ever and ever. And so this is what he he paints for, for them to explain this in the most vivid of ways. He says, listen, when I come back, I'm coming back to you as a husband. It's in Revelation 19 and Revelation 21. We don't have time to get to it today. But he says, this is the scene that, that I'm going to come back to. What's going to happen is that the Holy Spirit is going to be like, I don't even know. What is the web pages that we use these days to invite people to weddings? What is that? Tylenot.com? The, the, the Holy Spirit is, is better than tie the knot, and he is inviting all people unto the kingdom of heaven. He's inviting somebody, all these people, to what's called the wedding feast of the Lamb. I want you to be part of this great wedding ceremony. And at that wedding, there's going to be this wonderful food, and we're not going to need a caterer because there's, well, maybe Chef Gavin's going to be there. He might do a little, like, broil, a little country broil. But other than that, um, there's going to be a feast, and heaven's a party. And it's not all people just doing all different things. You know, like at the mall, gathered for no particular purpose. But everybody is, 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 is in, one, in one rhythm, worshiping and, and celebrating this thing, which is the return of a husband to his bride. I, I was at a men's lunch the other day, and there was a guy that visited, and he said, I'm back here in Greenville. I left two years ago. Two years ago, I split with my wife. We had some problems in our marriage. We have two kids. I got a divorce, and I left. And I moved to some other place, and I can't remember where he said that he went. But he said, my wife and I, we've been talking on the phone, and, and I've been praying a lot about it, and, and we've been working on things over the phone. And he says, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm back in Greenville for good, and my wife is, and I are getting remarried in a month. And, and, there's, and there's just like, he's like tearing up in his eyes, and there's just this, this joy, this perfect, you know, like story ending that happens for for. for this couple that never, never was supposed to be divorced, was never meant to be split. And I mean, nobody marries to get divorced. And so here's this guy who has his kids. He's going to get his kids back and his life back. 
and his wife back. And this is what Jesus wants us to know about when he comes back. It is not going to be like a, a, another church chorus and another church choir. It's going to be a wedding where the bride is made perfect and she's spotless in her dress. And this is the church. And I know it's hard for us men to sometimes imagine this, to be married to Jesus. But in, somehow in our finite mind, we got to get to this. It's like he doesn't just want us to be up there singing songs. He wants to be married to us. He wants to have us. He wants to, to hold us, to, to, to live our story with him forever in an uninterrupted way. This is the, the vision that Jesus has. And so he's like, when I leave, it's not forever. And don't count the engagement like it's the wedding. Don't count it like it's the marriage because you're not married yet. You're engaged. But I want you to be busy. I want you to be prepared. I want you to get the dress ready. I want you to get the bride ready. I want you to get the church ready. I want you to practice singing because we're going to do a lot of singing in heaven. If you don't know how to dance, you've got to get started with some YouTube videos because we're going to dance it up in heaven. And, and as you talk to each other, you know, in your communication and you're like, oh, man, it's so hard to be peaceful and not jealous and not struggle and not have strife. He's like, I want you to work on that, too, because that's not going to work in heaven either. The whole me first attitude isn't going to work in heaven. I want you to be comfortable and normalize in heaven and that's why I want you to start the process now I want you to be ready for the wedding so that's my long intro but this is our journal question for the next three messages up on the screen Holy Spirit come into this place prepare my mind and my heart for something that's bigger than Sunday Monday or Tuesday prepare my heart for eternity God that when you return I'm not going to be unprepared for your wedding your, 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 your feast your, your story your house your home that you're going to draw me into is, 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 is all that my heart desires in God, would you prepare then my body to? Prepare my life, prepare my rhythm, my calendar, prepare my, my, the culture inside of my, my, my head that I'd be ready to be a guest at your wedding. And so Jesus, would you, would you um, prepare us to be your bride? Um, and in these next couple of uh, messages, God, would you, would you maybe give us a picture of um, what that day is gonna be like that we wouldn't falter or fail or grow impatient God, that we would, we would hold on for the best thing, not fall for the lesser thing, but hold on for the best thing, that we would be prepared and not lose our heart and not lose our hope that our husband uh, in Jesus has, has betrothed us and he's returning soon. We love you and trust you in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you guys ever been uh, overdressed or underdressed for something and felt uh, kind of lame and like, like a loser? I don't know if you're like me. You're probably more spiritual than me and you don't really care about what you have on or think about it, but I do. Like uh, I have this hole in my shirt this morning that looks like I got shot with a BB gun and uh, usually Kyra keeps me from wearing stupid stuff like this, but I, uh, I still do it anyways. Uh, I'm a rebel like that, but have you ever come to something either overdressed or underdressed and felt kind of kind of dumb like like uh kind of foolish kind of out of place I, I remember um when when i was uh just just got married um i really wanted to impress the father-in-law you guys know what i'm talking about if you're married you want to like do good in front of the, the dad's eyes you don't want to be late for stuff and disorganized and like you know not have enough money and stuff like that and i remember he had this like audi tt which was this sweet like you know you know, whatever, that Corvette, they're not Corvette, what's that called, like a convertible deal that I could barely, like my muscles, he would like do it with one hand, and I'd be like, yeah, me too, hang on, let me, let me close it up, and it was a stick shift, and he let me drive it, and all that kind of stuff, and um, he's like, yeah, here's the keys, you take care of it, you know, just threw it out there like John Wayne, I'm like, yeah, sure, th sure thing, dad, I got it, I got you covered, I won't wreck it, and uh, I remember having to go into the office 
Um, like thinking, you know what I'm saying? Like when you're dressed a certain way, you're dressed for that day, and then you go into some other area, and you're like, oh, I, I wasn't dressed for that day. I was, I was dressed to go to Publix. I wasn't. And I walked into this thing, and it's like the boardroom, and it's just power ties everywhere. You know what I'm talking about? And you walk in there, and you've got your like, hey, chill, like be merry, be happy t-shirt from Old Navy for $6.99 with your flip-flops on. You're like, uh, hey, Dad, I got your keys. Uh, and you just feel completely uh, <clears throat> illegitimate as a man. Um, this can happen the opposite way in terms of uh, casual stuff. Uh, Old Navy will get you sometimes. Old Navy is that place that you can wear in the living room, but if you ever go somewhere and you're supposed to wear something different, maybe Old Navy doesn't always work. But um, I, was, I remember like, uh, I had this, this buddy of mine out in like kind of summer project, summer camp thing where he was like, dude, Ollie, dude, like, just wake up at five tomorrow. I'm going to take you out on the sweet waves, dude, and we're going to go surfing. It's going to be wild, man. And so I'm like, okay, great. Like, I've never been surfing before. And so, uh, you know, I get up at five, I set the alarm, I show up, and I just felt so dumb because, like, everybody had the, like, what is it, O'Neal and, like, PacSun, like, all the stuff and all the sweet, like, super tight Iron Man clothes. And I had, like, the Old Navy, you know, like, tropical swim trunks on that just looked like a pair of boxer shorts, and I was, like, falling off on the waves and looked like a complete doofus. That wouldn't bother you, but it bothered me, okay? It phased me. It ruined my day. My dad was always the guy that, like, uh, wouldn't buy me the brand name stuff. He's like, why you need Jordan? Why do you need Jordan? Get Morden from Payless, you know? You, you, you don't, that's all, that's just all fake. You don't, that's for, that's aesthetic. And uh, I remember one time, he would always get me clothes. I would learn, finally, like by the time I was 15, he was like, dad's not going to ever get me anything cool. And I've got to wear the thing that he gets. Like, you, 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 he brings out the, the box on your birthday and you're like, oh, snap. Maybe it's about to be some Abercrombie and Fitch or whatever it was back then. And you would open it up and be a full-on red jumpsuit with like a cat on it, some random cat from China. And you're like, this isn't going to work. He still does that to me, man. He's, 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 he's no good. He's no good. Um, Jesus, Jesus talks about the first, this first parable in John 22, if you want to open your, your Bible to it or your phone, uh, in John 22. And he, and he talks about this wedding. Um, the focus isn't the food. Um, it's not the music and it's not the singing. Jesus opens the first parable about the wedding, Feast of Lamb, and he talks about the clothing. He talks about what people have on at this wedding. So this is how it goes, Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. If you guys like food, you're going to like heaven a lot. I'm thinking about the barbecue right now, and I'm getting just stirred up. I like a good queso dip. Uh, sometimes I like pizza. I'm a pizza man. Italian. It really doesn't matter. I eat, eat just about uh, anything because uh, I love food that much. But he says the, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a banquet. And it's not just kind of sitting around eating. It's a big celebration um, that has to do with the wedding that he's prepared for his son, Jesus. And he says the servants, they had gone out and they invited the invitation list to come. But they refused to do so. They refuse to do so. And so Jesus opens it up, and he's really talking about the Jewish people. Um, there was a point in the story a couple chapters ago that I didn't talk about too much where, where Jesus leaves Galilee, and he tells his disciples, we're leaving and we're not coming back to this place. Galilee was Jesus' hometown. He says, I'm leaving Galilee, and I'm headed towards Jerusalem. And you don't see it like explicitly written in the page uh, of that scripture, but, but you can feel it if you look at it long enough. Um, Jesus is saying goodbye to his home. Like he realized what he knows and where he's headed. Like he's not coming back to the place he grew up. He's not coming back to his old school or his old home or even his mom's house. Like he's not going back ever. 
He's like leaving, but not to college. Like he's leaving to go to the cross. And it's the end of not only his time in Galilee, but really it's, it's the closing time of his pursuit of the Jewish people. The, the beginning of the story way back to Abraham and Moses and, and David and all that stuff like that was all part of that same story, which really kind of ends right when Jesus leaves Galilee. He's like, that's kind of all I've got to offer the Jewish people from the beginning of time when I kind of led them out with strands of human kindness, Hosea would say, and led them into the desert and fed them manna and, and loved them. And, and, and when, they were, when they were rude and they defied me, I pursued them. And when they sinned, I forgave them and I gave them the law and I gave them my best and I pursued them. And, and, and you see in the pages here in, in the gospel, not in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, when Jesus is leaving Galilee, he's like, I'm leaving, I'm not coming back. And they didn't want me. I mean, after it's all is said and done and all that I gave and all that I promoted them for and all that I pursued them with, like, it wasn't enough. Like, they rejected me, ultimately. My people rejected me. I don't know if you've ever thrown a party. It's kind of awkward, right? And it, it kind of, more than just the expense of the money and, and, and all that and cleaning your house up, like, it, it kind of hits you, doesn't it? Like, when you have an open house for your child, like, graduating high school, or you, you get a guest list together with, like, 50 people, and, and people are busy, and they've got their things, and they're doing this, and they're doing that, but it kind of hits you in a certain way when you invite 50 people to a party, and, like, four people show up. Like it just kind of feels like you, 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 you put your heart out there, not just your home. Like, you're going, I'm, I'm moving in this season of life. I'm celebrating my marriage, my wedding. You know, I'm, I'm, maybe it's needing to host a funeral or something like that. I'm holding a graduation ceremony. And it's like, man, people were just too busy to come to it. Like, man, I wouldn't imagine getting married without you being there. And, and, and they were just, they were, you're just busy. I mean, I know you're busy. I get it. But, like, it's hard. Like, I wouldn't want to do this without you. And yet... Yet you weren't there. I mean, could you imagine, like, if you were, if you were a bride and you were getting married, and 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 your dad was just like playing golf that day, and just kind of forgot to come. You know, could you imagine uh, your 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 sister, like your best friend, who was supposed to be a bridesmaid, or or if if your groom didn't didn't come, like you're standing there at the altar and you're offering your your future, your life. It's like I want you. I want to be a part of your life. And you open up the, your heart and you open up your home and, and nobody comes to it. I mean, I think this is the, the, the sad um, conjecture here that we see, you know, in, in Jesus' life is he's like, I opened up this, this future and home with you, a promise to live with you forever. And the scripture says it's not even just that you were bad, but you were just too busy to care. This is what it says. He sent some servants. He says, tell all of them, man, I can't wait for them to be here. I got a spot for them, and I got a spot for them, and I got the invitations written. I mean, they're handwritten. Like, you got to realize that, that in heaven, like, that, that, that each person that's ever been, been born, like, all the hairs on their head counted and all the ways that they're knit together in a room, it's like they're, they're, they're handwritten. There's a handwritten invitation by Jesus himself because he loves the people that live on this world that he died. And that's, that's, that's exactly the whole narrative. And he's going... Tell him, come home. Tell him, I got the fattened calf. Tell him, I, 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 I set out the whole party, the whole smorgasbord. You know, I set out the whole thing. And I got, I got the table ready and the music ready. And like, we're going to have a party, like, just like I always said. Remember, just like we always dreamed. Remember when Abraham looked at the stars? We're going to finally have that party, you and me. Like, we're finally going to be together. And this is what it says. He says that the invitations went out. And the people, one by one, the Jewish people in the story that we've been reading over the last couple of months, they paid no attention. They went off, one to his field and one to his, his business. 
and the others to just their everyday, ordinary life. The question that I want to ask this morning, it's not the intentional question, but what if heaven is something that people miss, not because they are too bad for it, but because they're just too busy for it? Like, like what, if, what if we get to the end of it all and we look back on our life and we think about our life with Jesus here and we think about our life with Jesus in the future and we start to see that the real reason that we didn't experience the fullness of heaven in life wasn't because we misunderstood him and it wasn't because we didn't have answers or it wasn't because we didn't have what we asked for from him or didn't have the faith that was gifted to us? What if it was just because we just believed that tomorrow we can, we can take our next step and not today, and, but tomorrow never came? What if it was just because we were so busy uh, with the next thing that we were going to do that we forgot about the person that he wanted us to become and instead of realizing his presence and his mercy and his kindness in today, we kept on living for the future and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow? What if we were... What if we were more like Martha and, and, and the very presence of Jesus was in our home, but we were too busy doing dishes to see it? I mean, this is what it's saying, right? Like, it's not saying that the guests were disinvited because they had too many check marks on their record or because they did too many bad things or because they were, you know, obstinate towards God or they didn't really want Jesus. I mean, you could have asked the guys like, hey, did you want to be part of the party? Did you want to be part of the wedding party of the lamb and know Jesus and live for him forever? They probably all would have said yes, but their actions said otherwise. Their heart maybe would have wanted to go, but their feet went in a different direction, not because they're devious, not because they're deceived, not because it's, you know, like something wrong inside of them, but because they were distracted and because they were too busy to care. I don't know. I just, I wonder, I put that question before you. Could it be that, that heaven in your life is being shut out, not because of some uh, earth shattering crisis thing that is, that is keeping you from Jesus or keeping us from Jesus? What if it's just the tyranny of urgency? What if it's just the, the belief that the gold is on the other side of the rainbow? What if it's just the, the belief that joy is somewhere out there? What if the belief that, 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 that one day I'll get there and, and one day never comes? This passage would tell us, among other things, that, that today is the only day that we have and remind us that all we have is, is all we need. And, and oftentimes, that the history would show us that many would say, you know, millions. Look at all these people that, that, that Jesus is talking about at the end of time that miss Jesus, not because they are deceived, but because they were too distracted, because they had golf stuff to go to, because they had kids they had to raise. I mean, I'll get with you. I'll get to the whole love of the Father and love of the church and love of the... Like, I'll get to all that when my kids are grown up, when I'm not so spastic and crazy, when my job settles down. Like, that's when I'll start following Jesus. I mean, I know it's a party and I know you gave it all for me and I know it's all for free, but like, I'm really busy right now. I mean, that's really how simple it is sometimes, isn't it? It's, it's just the distraction. It's not that there's some catastrophic thing that's getting in, in the way. It's just that we're tired and busy and we don't have the discipline to, as Jesus says to Martha, you are so worried about so many things, but Mary gets it and receives what I want to give her for free, the fattened calf, the meal, the ring and the robe, the identity, the full thing that I wanted to give, the promise of Abraham. She received it because she was able to see the one thing amidst the many things. Just a thought. So the next passage goes on. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them, and the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed the murderers 
and burn their city. <clears throat> so there are some that, that miss Jesus because of distraction and some that miss Jesus because of, um, of, of, of sin, of murder, of idolatry, <clears throat> of, of obstinance towards God. And so, so if you look in your history books, it's actually true. It's a prophecy that comes true because in 70 AD, when the Romans take over uh, the, the temple and, and the nation of Israel, they actually burn up the temple in, in 70 AD. So when Jesus is saying this, it's an actual literal time and space prophecy. He's like, I'm going to burn down their temple because ultimately what Jesus identified is distracted or devious that the Jews rejected Jesus because they believed they didn't need him. And that, and that their temple, which was a religious sign of, of progression and elevation, uh, he, he, he prophesied to them that in your rejection of this, I'm going to knock down the thing that ultimately got between me and you, which was religion in the first place. It was the belief that I could get to God without God. It was the belief that I could get to God on my own merit. And he says, I'm going to knock all that down. And, and, and in the place of, of rejection, in the place where, where my people rejected me because they chose their religion over, over relationship with me, in that place, I'm going to knock down that temple. And watch this. I'm going to usher in a brand new invitation that doesn't come from the temple and it doesn't come from the law and it doesn't come from the old covenant. No, there's going to be a new invitation. This is what he says. The wedding banquet is ready. And those I invited, they didn't deserve to come. They chose their religion over relationship and closeness with me. They chose their, their, their hobbies and their business and their relationships and their people and their marriages and family. They chose them all over me. And so, so I'm changing the guest list. I'm, I'm opening the guest list wide. And this is what he says about the wedding invitation now, which is where we live today. The wedding banquet is ready. Uh, and those I invited, they did not come. And so go into the streets, go into every corner, go into every mall, go into every school, go into every university, go into every place, every home. And I want you to invite anyone you find. I want you to invite all the people. I want you to get the guest list and I want you to write every man, woman and child on the list. And I want to invite everyone on all four corners of this of this globe all over history to this thing, to this wedding. So the servants went out of the street and all people that they could find. And look at this. He says, bad people as well as good people were invited to fill the wedding uh, hall um, of guests. And so, so this, is, this is the picture that, that, that you get. It's a, it's a scandalous picture of, of, of murderers and adulterers and drunkards and prostitutes and sinners and good people and kind people and, and, and loud people and quiet people. You know, black and white and red and brown and rich and poor in any socioeconomic class is that the list goes from, from, from just a certain group of people in a certain time and space to all people in every time and every space is invited to, to this wedding gift of the lamb, wedding banquet of the lamb. And, and so here it is that, that we find a very significant, important part about what it means when Jesus returns and, and what it means to to walk into a future with him and find home with him in heaven is that, um, is that the wedding invitation, that the people that are on the list is not just a short list of people, but it's, but it's all people. That heaven is not just for good people. This is the thing that I think is fundamentally hard for us to, to understand. It's why I think Jesus gives this parable to give a clear, illustrious illustration of of what's going on in heaven and what will happen in the future. He wants us to know because there's a guy who doesn't know. There's a guy that we're going to find in the story in a minute that doesn't get the memo. But he wants everybody to know is that when you get to heaven, you're going to feel, you're going to see a lot of surprising faces. There's going to be people there that, that you didn't expect to see there. 
and that heaven's going to be a lot different. Like when you think about heaven from a human perspective and you just think about what's the greatest good I can think of, that's not enough without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit's interpretation of this scripture. He's like, I want you to be aware of who you're going to find and what you're going to, you're going to see there. You know, um, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Oscars, there's a lot of hullabaloo about the celebrities there, you know, and a lot of celebration of human accomplishment uh, in, in the Oscars. I remember I was praying one time and talking to God, and he was like, you know, heaven's not like the Oscars. Because, because in the Oscars, you make a really big deal about what people have done and who people are and how people look. He's like, that's not how heaven works at all. And they're like, oh my gosh, Chance the Rapper. He's, he, look what he did, look what he wrote. Like, oh my, like, he's just breaking all the modes and going into all the different genres. And he's like, that's, that's, not, what we, that's not what we celebrate there. And, and, and he was talking to me about this, like, like Jennifer Lawrence is, is awesome. She's a great actress, you know, and she is kind and funny and smart. But that's, that's not what's going on in heaven. It's not about kind and funny and smart. And, and, and Ryan Reynolds is so funny, man. He's in this movie and that movie. And look at what he did and accomplished this stuff. And he just, he, he was awesome in this movie. And, and Avengers, look how much money it made. It's like, that's not what we're doing. He's like, He's like, you're, you're, you're going to find, you're not finding rich people, like, you're not finding good people. The scripture is saying is that you're finding all people, you're finding all kinds of people, of all kinds of stories that know Jesus. You're, 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 finding, um, you're finding people, ultimately, that we'll see, that are wearing the garments um, of Jesus. The Oscars are, are for talented people, and the Olympics are for strong people. And, and beauty magazines are for beautiful people, and Harvard is for smart people. And, and a lot of times, you know, church is for people that, that want, to, want to follow Jesus, hopefully, but, but sometimes just want a place where it's organized and there's moral, moral codes and moral compasses and we can raise our kids in the right place and teach them the right things. But he's like, that's not what heaven's about. Heaven is not about good people or bad people. Heaven's about the people that are wearing the garments of Jesus. Are you wearing the garments of Jesus today? This is how the whole story ends, and this is the point of the message today. He says, When the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. My friend Jay showed up when I got married in 2005. It was the first wedding that he had probably been to because we're all 21 and didn't know anything about it and like didn't know we were supposed to wear a tux. It got awkward really quickly. I'll tell you the rest of that story sometime. But, but he's saying, like, he points out this guy. He's like, this guy doesn't have wedding clothes. And he says, how did you get in here, friend? Um, so the Jewish tradition was that um, you would be provided with a certain uh, wedding garment that you would wear, and, and it would symbolize a free gift that was given from the father, from the family, to say you are one of the family as you're part of this party, and we want you to celebrate as though this is part of your family. And so, so to come in on your own accord, to come in wearing your own threads, your own tux, your own Hugo Boss, or whatever it may be, your own suit, would have been something that would have been a gross insult to the host of, of this party. And so Jesus is drawing this analogy of, of what it means to, to try and get to heaven the way we would try and get to the Oscars, or try and get to heaven the way we would get to the top of a ladder, or, uh, the way that we would try and get to heaven by, by being forgiven or doing the right thing, or um, you know, uh, honoring women and holding the door and, um, and doing the right things and, and, and learning things and being smart or whatever ways that, that, that humans measure aptitude. He's like, none of those things are what heaven is about. Heaven is about who is wearing the garments of Jesus. So this is the intentional question that I want to uh, ask you today. It says this. From the ring to the wedding, 
It's a simple question. Will you be wearing the clothes of Jesus or the clothes of yourself? Are you going to be wearing your clothes or are you going to be wearing his? From the ring to the wedding, will you wear his clothes or yours? This is my sermon and sentence this morning. Heaven is not just for good people. As a matter of fact, it's for bad people and anyone in between. Heaven is for all people. Heaven is not for rich or for poor or smart or dumb, slave or free. Heaven is for all people, all people, any person that would wear the garment of Jesus. Sometimes, uh, I don't know if you've ever been on a lake before uh, in the twilight hours of your vacation with a friend or with family and you're sitting there roasting the fire and you're roasting marshmallows and there's crackling in the fire and there's kids playing off in the pool and you think to yourself, if this is what heaven's like, it might just be great. And I think we do get tastes of heaven here on earth. I think we get tastes of hell on earth. And I think that Jesus uses these... underneath the influence of the Holy Spirit to teach us what heaven is like because I, th- I think that when we get to that place, like, like it's, it's these places and spaces I believe that God sometimes gifts us here in our human experience, our limited human experience that just thinks, man, like what did I do to get here and what do I do to deserve this? It's this thankful place in our heart when we see good things and we remember that they're from God and we experience them. I think that's what he's saying heaven is going to be like. You're going to run into people that are going, man, like I don't know how I deserve to be here. I don't know how I got the wedding garment. I don't know how I'm here. All I was was depressed, but his garment put a praise on me. All I was was sad and, and all I was, was was dishonest and dishonoring, and he put integrity on me. All I was was, was confused, and he put, he put a vision on top of me because of the garments that he put on me. It, it, it's, it's, it's this feeling that, that I'm not here because of me. I'm here because of him. I'm here and have joy and have community and have dancing and have uh, praise, not because of what I'm wearing, because of what he's wearing. When, when I was 10... Uh, it's my closing illustration, but um, when I was 10, I, uh, I went to take on my dad's uh, PhD. Um, it was like 1994, and he had been working for about 15 years to get this PhD from SUNY Albany. And so um, he had gone through the whole period of the 15 years, um, walked through a divorce, um, moved countries back to Hong Kong, um, had this awful injury on his right arm when he like fell into this hot tub of water in Hong Kong and like burned 23% of his arm on a first degree burn. And so his, his journey from getting the PhD all over in SUNY Albany was like a really long journey for him. It was like a spiritual and emotional one too. And so I don't really remember what happened, but he was overseas and he told me, he called me, he's like, Oliver, I can't come to get the PhD. You go get it. And I was like, okay. And so um, it, was, it, was, uh, it was before email. So I think he like, read it to me over the phone or read it to my mom, but wrote down this entire speech that I was supposed to say. I don't remember what the speech said, but ultimately it said something about trepidation. I knew I was supposed to say this word that I didn't know, like, I'm going to go and receive this, uh, this uh, distinguished award with great trepidation. That was like the main point. So I was like, all right, trepidation. And so I showed up at this hall, and it's probably 50 people, and they're all 60 times smarter than me. And I'm 10 years old, and I remember um, I had gone to my dad's closet. He had left all of his clothes here when he moved to Hong Kong. And um, I, my mom had gotten me this big, like, blue blazer that I wore of his. It was like this big smoking jacket or something crazy with these gold buttons. I looked like I was off of the skipper off of uh, Gilligan's Island. <clears throat> and so I'm in this oak room with all these, like, smart people who's going to be giving a distinguished doctorate award to Dr. Kam Cha Wong, who will take this award, or whatever it was. 
And uh, I just remember this, the, the, the boards creak underneath my, my feet and like I'm just completely underdressed like I was saying from the beginning and the, the thing is too high. And I remember I like come up and like the microphone's up here and I'm like, I want to receive this award for this trepidatious moment or whatever it was and got off the stage. I remember one of the buttons was like off too on my shirt. Um, but I don't know if you've, if, you, if you've ever had an experience like that where, where you've had to wear your parents' clothes um, when, you, when you put something on that your dad wore, uh, maybe he's passed away, or maybe he's alive, or maybe he just gave you something, but there's something like spiritual about it, you know? Like it feels like, I don't know, at least emotional when you put, the, when you put your mom's dress on, you know, for a little girl to like put on your mom's high heels and put the pearls on and kind of dress up and twirl around. It's like there's this really like sweet emotional like connection, you know? Because it's like the clothes like represent the parent. And, and, and the clothes, they're like, they're like big, you know, and, and they smell like mom and dad. You remember that? You would like put on the sweater and you'd be like, whoa, like, am I dad right now? Like, it'd be like, it was like putting on Superman's cape. It was like, whoa, like, am I, am I, like, as a little girl, you know, I've seen like my daughter Rose do this. It's like, maybe, am I, like, am I pretty like my mom? You know, you put on that power jacket and you're like, man, maybe one day I'll be big and important like my dad, you know, maybe I'll be strong and like, and your mannerisms even change because like, you know, like his arms would be a different way and the suit would buckle up a different way and there's just this like thing that happens when you wear like the garments of your parents and you wear the clothes, you know, of your parents. And, and so the thing that I, that I get from the picture of this passage is, is like, he's, he's saying to us this morning, like, I, I want you to come into my presence it's not about religion, and it's not about rules, and it's not like the Oscars. It's more like a banquet. It's more like a celebration of a husband coming home. It's more like a celebration of a wife coming home. And when you come into this place, your clothes aren't going to work. Like the wardrobe that you're wearing, the old kind of spiritual clothes that you put, you put on. Like I remember when I used to put on my old like waiter clothes like to go work at Loose Chinese Bistro every time. I remember to call them my sucker pants. Because I just felt like a sucker. Like, I just felt like I was going to get yelled at and, and, like, bossed around and drop, you know, juice or something. And kids were going to yell at me. Like, I just felt a certain way in them. He's like, you can't wear those in heaven. He's like, I want you to wear, I want you to wear Jesus clothes. I, I, I want you to wear, even now, as you get ready for the wedding, as you, as you go from the ring into the wedding, I want you to daily, the scriptures talks about, to put on the clothing and the garments of Jesus. This is the command in scripture, if you've never heard it before. I want to tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, like spiritually, you don't know it, but you wear his clothes around. And the scriptures specifically tell you spiritually that you smell like him because of it. And the, and the fabric, like the fabric that he, that, he, that he wore, like it has this character to it that isn't like the character of J. Crew, and it's not like the character of White House Black Market or Ann Taylor Loft or whatever it is that people wear. Like, it's the character of heaven that you're wearing right now if you're a son or a daughter of Jesus. And, and you don't want to let anybody tell you any differently because we're in heaven now on earth in the kingdom of heaven, and we will be in heaven until kingdom come because of the garments that we wear. The question today is like, are you wearing the garments of Jesus, his love, his affection, and his forgiveness? Are you wearing his clothing? Sometimes it feels a little bit awkward, you know? Like, I remember when uh, skinny jeans came out, and uh, it was, like, a little bit awkward because I was always wearing, like, early 90s, like, baggy cargo shorts or whatever. And so, like, I remember, like, some youth kid was like, you're lame, Oliver. We don't listen to you until you put on skinny jeans. And I was like, okay, whatever you say. You know, and it felt weird for a little bit to walk around. 
But that's what Paul says. He's like, every day, it might feel weird to put on your dad's jacket, to put on your mom's dress, like to put on the garments of Jesus, but like, that's what you're called to do. Like there's an old garment that we wear around of pride, you know? And it's just this confidence, but it's not really. It's a fake confidence. And it's a habit. It's a path in our mind that's just like, I'm just going to like talk louder and, and it'll be okay. And I'm going to just like <clears throat> even believe that I'm better than everybody else. Like believe that my answers, are like I actually fall into this trap because I wear the same clothes every day. And when I put on the clothes, I, I play the part. I don't know if you guys have ever gone to something before and worn a suit. I swear guys stand up six inches taller when they have a suit on. It's like the neck thing doesn't let you move around. You feel like Batman, you know, <clears throat> in the original Michael Keaton film. But the clothes, they don't make the man, but they affect the posture of the person. And when I'm wearing a suit, I don't know. It's like call me shallow. I act differently in them, right? He's like, I want you to wear my clothes, and even when they don't fit, I want you to grow into my clothes. I want you to smell like heaven when you walk around. I want you to be comfortable, not in the garments and the fabric of shame. Some of us walk around, and we just have a fabric of shame on us. And it has nothing to, like, the re, like I think sometimes we go into church, and it's hard to be in church without the garments of Jesus because ministry is so hard. And, and, and we're looking at the church part of it, and we're looking at the scriptures, and we're looking at God, and, and we're not ultimately looking at the garments that we have on, and there's garments of shame that we can put on, and it's just the old record that we've been walking around in, that we're, that we're not included, that no one really likes us, that we're going to have to be something else for us to be accepted. We don't know it, but we put that on, like, like, in form, like inside of our head internally. When we show up, even before we get to the party, we're wearing that. He's like, you can't wear that in here. All you can wear in heaven is the garment of acceptance. All you can wear is this, you belong. All you can wear is like who you are is worthy of love and affection. Who you are is worth the death of Jesus. That's the only garment that will ever work in heaven. The garment of, the garment of, the garment of courage, the garment of faith. Really, there would be three words that I would stick with us today is faith, hope, and love. What would it be like to put on the garment of faith instead of the garment of pride? To wear before the meeting, before driving in the driveway at home at five o'clock when you go talk to the kids before you go and speak to your spouse, instead of having the garment of pride, to have the fabric of faith on you. To be like, I don't fight my battles. I'm not the one who has victory in this thing. God's gone ahead of me, and if it's a battle that's supposed to be won, he's going to win it, and so my portion is faith, and his portion is victory in my life. What if you put that on every day? If, if you're not a believer in Jesus, I want to tell you that he has an outfit just your size to wear. The guy had an opportunity, as we do, to wear the garments of Jesus every day. And, and ultimately, heaven is not for good people. Heaven is for people that wear the garments of Jesus. He has a garment for you. He has a handwritten name that's written on every invitation. If, you're, if you don't know Jesus or are not following Jesus or think that Jesus was, is a myth or a fairy tale, I want to tell you that he's real. That your spiritual life is actually more real than your physical life, than your nine to five. And that your identity is actually dictated more by him than by your boss. And when you wear the garments of Jesus, there's things that you have that nothing can be taken from you. If you're broken up with, it doesn't affect your acceptance. If you're fired, it doesn't accept your position. These are the garments of Jesus that, he, that he's giving us. And these are the only things that ultimately will allow us to be a part of the wedding feast together. I want to invite you guys to stand and have the band come forward as we do a ministry moment. But I want to encourage you today, um, and it'll be on the screen as well, the, the sermon in a sentence. Um, to put on the garments of Jesus, to, to wear his identity, to be what the scriptures say about us, to be a son.
and to be a daughter each and every moment. This is our opportunity. This is our invitation. This is why we're on the list, is that just as we are right who we are, we are sons and daughters of God that are in his closet. And he says, this is my closet. The clothing is yours. You want the garment of praise? You can put it on. If you want the garment of hope, go and find it. You can put it on. It's not your garment. It's my garment. It's my size. I want you to go and find the garment of, of persistence, of patience. I want you to go and find the garment. And that's the thing is like the decision that we want to wear is the old polo that fits just right. And I know how to be patient. I'll just do what my Aunt Betty always told me to do and do this one like, you know, moral, ethical, Ben Franklin, early bird gets the worm kind of discipline. He's going, nah, that's not going to make it at the wedding. You, you can't do it based on grit. You got to do it based on my spirit. You have to take on the garment of Jesus. You have to take on the garment of the Holy Spirit. My question is, are you wearing the garment of man, of Ralph Lauren, of Tommy Hilfiger, of Abercrombie, or whatever it may be? Are you wearing the garments of Jesus? Does that make sense? Does that land to you? Ask yourself, ask your heart. Like, do I, do I wear the garments of Jesus? Do I know what they are? Do I know what they feel like enough to know if I don't have them on? That would be a good question. Do I wear the garments of Jesus? Do I trust in my ability to be more ethical tomorrow than I am today? Or do I trust in his ability to meet me right here today? As the music plays, we're going to have a prayer moment. And I want us to pray for the person next to us or pray for somebody nearby us. I want us to kind of sh shake off the kind of... Um, I've been quiet for the last 45 minutes mode right here. And I want us to kind of get activated for a second and pray for one another. It's always a good idea if we don't know what to pray for, for somebody to pray for these three things in 1 Corinthians 13 for faith, hope, and love. The reality is, is that there are outfits, there are wardrobes, there are garments that people need to get to, to put on their back to, to, to walk the life from the ring into the wedding. And so what we want to do this morning is just to be really intentional, not to do a counseling session and not to kind of ask questions about how people are doing or this or that. We're going to pray for 60 seconds as Timothy's going to um, lead here. I'll close this in prayer in a moment. But for 60 seconds, I want you to find somebody near you and just begin to, to bless them in the name of Jesus with those three things, with the garment of faith, with the garment of hope, or with the garment of love. Just pick one of those three things and just begin to bless them. Just, tell, just pray just like this. Jesus, thank you for the garment of hope that is on John right now. I thank you that um, when his circumstance begins to um, oppose what you say about hope, that God, you're just saying it's not over and the best is yet to come. Just bless them in the name of Jesus with what's more true about them than their job and just pray for them. Just whatever it is that's on your heart, pray um, as the Holy Spirit is equipping you to pray. You guys good for that? Let's gather up for 60 seconds. Find somebody near you. Give them a fist bump. Give them a high five. Uh, tell them you love them if you do or if you know them. Don't be weird. And uh, just begin to pray for faith, hope, and love. We at City Lights are so grateful to have worshipped with you today. We are a church that exists to be followers of Jesus who are devoted to building family, blessing neighborhoods, and bringing good news to the nations. For more information on our church, visit our website at www.citylights.cc and give us a follow on Instagram or Facebook. We hope you can join us again soon.